This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our guest today, Mr. Dean Slider. Uh, he has taught natural methods of meditation since 1970. He's the author of several highly acclaimed books, including Cinnamon Nirvana, The Zen Commandments, and his latest book, Natural Meditation, A Guide to Effortless Meditation Practice, which was a, an Amazon number one bestseller in stress management and winner of the Nautilus uh, Book Awards Gold Medal for 2015's Best Book on Body, Mind, and Spirit Practices. Dean has even taught uh, uh, meditation in, in maximum security uh, prisons. And I should say Dean is a friend of mine from way, way, way back. And, and when we started, with, Phil, when we started this show, the first thought for a guest was Dean. So finally, on our show, Dean, uh, welcome. Thank you so much. So good to be here. Dean, we should, in interest of full disclosure, also say that um, you are a very old friend of mine, and we won't say how many years, but it exceeds... I am, I am, I am hundreds of years old. It exceeds four decades right. of yeah. friendship, and <laughs> so, but we won't, we won't that, let that uh, get in the way of a good interview. So, let's begin with your most uh, recent book and activities, mm -hmm. Natural Meditation. Now, there's a lot of books on meditation, a lot of um, magazine articles, online sources. Why another book on meditation and why the term natural meditation, which implies there must be unnatural meditation. Correct. <laughs> right. Um, well, your first question, why another book on meditation, is exactly the question that I posed to my publisher uh, when he actually, I went into my publisher's office to pitch him a completely different book, and uh, after shooting that down, he pitched this one to me. And I said, he said, I want Meditation 101 from you. And I said, really? Everyone's written, you know, Deepak's written that, the Dalai Lama, Sharon, so everyone has written that book. Um, and he said, but um, I want it from you. I want you to uh, use this to distill your 40-whatever years of experience teaching. And I know that from you, even though it's going to be, and he, and he kept saying, Meditation 101, um, and he said, but I know that you know how to, how to teach Meditation 101 in a way that's really authentic, in a way that's deep and not watered down and fun and accessible. And uh, I said, okay. And it turned out that I personally, I found out later, needed to write this book. I needed to put, uh, to really find out everything that I had learned about teaching that has made the teaching work with high school students, made it work with prisoners and maximum security, you know, made it work with, with filmmakers, you know, people that, that just, just find out what do I know. And, and, and also what I keep finding out again and again is that this is getting to your question number two, natural meditation. Yeah. There unnatural meditation abounds and unnatural meditation consists of, trying to do anything, trying to manufacture any kind of mental state, trying to create a, a spiritual mood or a peaceful mood, trying to control thoughts, trying to make, <clears throat> excuse me, 
trying to make the mind blank. Um, and people's um, preconceptions that those kinds of things are supposed to happen in meditation are so deeply ingrained that uh, it's like they can't hear it too many times. You, but what I'm constantly doing as a writer and as, and as a teacher is finding new, fresh ways to sneak up on people and surprise them into letting go of those preconceptions of effort. Right. And Dean, you've been practicing meditation for many, many, many years, even longer than me, I think. And, and uh, mm-hmm. when you came to it, the, the, and when you first started teaching it, the type of person that mm-hmm. came to meditation, were they very different than the type of person that comes to meditation today? Well, I started as a teacher in 1970, and, um, you know, we were at the tail end of the, the 60s. It was, to a large degree, seen as a counterculture thing, um, although even then there were a number of, of regular suburban middle-class folks uh, who were coming to it. But more and more it's become accepted as, you know, I, I don't have to preface my, my talks now with, you know, the, the, the disclaimer that it's not about sleeping on beds of nails or, or riding on flying carpets. Uh, I just did a workshop a little earlier this year in Morristown, New Jersey, at a Ford dealership for these New Jersey car salesmen. And it, and it was so great as these guys came walking in. And if you imagine, just think the phrase, right. New Jersey car salesman. You know, I'm from New Jersey, by the were. way, folks, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know whereof I speak. Right. And these guys came in, and I said, great, I am officially out of the yoga studio ghetto. Uh, <laughs> these are real <laughs> folks. And, and they totally got it. They were so attentive and engaged, and they understood the, the need. Um, they really listened. They were so sincere. And afterwards, I was signing books, so people were coming up to me individually. And so many of them were saying, you know, I really need this. The boss doesn't know I've got a substance abuse problem or, you know, I've got a a 12-year-old kid who's autistic. I know this will really help me be more present and centered for for being with my kid. And and it's just great having that kind of thing happen. Mm -hmm. Dean, um, many of us have been around the meditation block for a long, long time. And... um, uh, there's some skepticism about the efficacy of trying to teach meditation in a book or in a magazine mm-hmm. article, as opposed mm-hmm. to the um, contact with a, a teacher, either right. one-on-one or in a group. Do you go into that in your book? And since you you uh, are both a book writer and a teacher in person, what's the difference? Well, you know, it's a very good point. I think being with the teacher in a live situation is best. Um, you know, it's like music. It's like, it's like jazz. Uh, jazz albums are great, but there's something about being there live in the moment, that sharing of, of presence, um, that and the and the the teacher or the musician being able to respond in the moment to to what he or she senses from from the the students or the audience that that that's the best. Um, 
I've, I also have uh, audio programs, uh, guided meditation audio programs uh, that are available through my website uh, that, you know, go a long way toward replicating that experience. But I must say um, that one of the nice things that, that keeps happening with my book is that people who know me for a long time or have attended my teaching say, gee, I opened your book and your writing is, is just like, it's just like hearing your voice. Um, you know, gee, that must, I, I didn't realize writing was so easy. You just write the way you speak. <laughs> it's taken me a long time to, to get the writing that natural. Interesting. Yeah, Dean, uh, I taught meditation for years. I taught TM for years. And what, what my experience was, and I, ha I haven't taught it for many years, but my experience back mm -hmm. when I was teaching it was that um, pretty much everybody enjoys it, likes it, gets it, does it right. right. Uh, but then very, very few people, I'd say 10, maybe 20%, continue to do it with any regularity. Uh, do you find that? Mm -hmm. and, and how do you deal with that? How do you get people? Uh, because again, the, their, their impression of it... Uh, is that they're enjoying it, they're liking it, but because of their schedules or whatever, uh, they tend not to stay regular with it. My experience with the way that I teach now is, is different. I think my, uh, <laughs> since, I mean, as you know, I, I, I taught TM also uh, back in the 70s and mm -hmm. the 80s. Um, and since I've moved on and I'm teaching um, you know, natural meditation in, in the way that I teach now, I, I think my batting average is, is a lot higher in terms of people practicing with some regularity. And that has to do with some of the, the particularities about uh, the TM as it's taught. Uh, the idea that it's, okay, it's got to be 20 minutes twice a day. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and frankly, the, that it's got to be with the mantra and with these particular mantras. And what I found was that some people that, that either the, the mantra itself or the, 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 the idea of, uh, or the kind of the knack, getting the, the groove of simply entertaining the mantra effortlessly as a faint idea rather than, you know, than banging away at it. Some people get that and some people never get that. Mm -hmm. And the big discovery for me when um, the it, just being in the TM organization became too uncomfortable for a number of reasons, uh, you know, the, the prime one being when they, they jacked up the prices to a level that I just found completely unreasonable. So, you know, that forced me out of the nest. And, and the big discovery was that, um, you know, Maharishi, with, through TM, had brought this great gift of effortlessness. Um, but he, what my great discovery was he did not have a corner on effortlessness. Uh, that effortlessness can be practiced with other vehicles besides the TM mantra or with no vehicle at all, with, simply by resting the awareness in itself, as the ancient texts say, it's, it's like a turtle withdrawing its limbs uh, within itself, so that awareness can simply rest in awareness. And so I teach in a, in a way that's very um, 
you know, it's adaptable to a per- person's particular situation. I say, you know, sometimes you need a little on-ramp for a few minutes, so you follow the breath, or you can use a mantra. My favorite mantra these days is, is the natural mantra of, ah, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. the mantra of letting go that people use in all cultures and all languages, and sometimes you, you, you do that a little bit, and, and then and then just let that go. You're, you're don't get caught up in the on-ramp and you're back on in the express lane of just resting as awareness, just being. Uh, Dean, um, I'm going to voice um, some of the um, uh, feedback I've had from people about you at your current work and your book. And mm-hmm. um, one, of, one of the things people have uh, challenged you with is um, how do you know that when you give people all these different choices, that mm-hmm. they're they're getting the same results as they would if they learned a, a proven technique uh, such as TM or uh, Yogananda's meditations or Zochen or any of the others. Um, and are there down? Is there a downside to in the possibility of mixing things up? So, in other words, how do you know that the results would be what what you're uh, anticipating they are? I would say I know it um, anecdotally. I, uh, which, as, as a friend of mine said a long time time ago, you know, ac- anecdotal is what scientists call anything that happens to actual people in the actual uh-huh. world. <laughs> uh, you know, when, when I have people who come, we have regular uh, sessions here in Santa Monica every other Tuesday night. Uh, and also, you know, I travel around the U.S. and, and elsewhere uh, doing workshops. And when I have people coming to me who say, uh, you know, I lost my partner of 25 years and I was in deep depression and uh, I, I re- this has really helped me come out of it. And, and when I have people, uh, you know, I get emails from people all over the country uh, and, and, you know, England and Australia and other places saying, uh, you know, I tried to meditate in, in other ways and, and now this is really working for me. Uh, and, 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 and expressions that sounded abstract to me like just being now seem, oh, of course, right. That's what I experienced when I close my eyes and increasingly when I don't have to close my eyes. Dean, I wanted to follow up on the last question I asked uh, about, you know, how do you keep people meditating regularly? Let me ask you the other side of that. What if somebody comes to you, you teach them a natural meditation and doing it, and they say, man, I love this. I want to spend eight hours a day doing this. I want to, you know, do, mm-hmm. do nothing else. Right. I'm retired. I'm, yep. and now, is there some danger in that? Uh, I, I, what kind of guidelines do you give them? No, I say, yeah, that's a great impulse. That it's good to do that on a retreat. Um, and uh, you know, there's a number of actually not. Just, there are a few teachers that I, you know, have have you know, complete trust in who give regular retreats. So I say, yeah, go to, go to a retreat where you can do uh, long meditation. But in general, you know, on your own at home, uh, as you know, when you engage in deep meditation for long periods, uh, there's a, a process of 
cleansing, unwinding, unstressing that can take place, where which sometimes it can be like you know flushing a lot of old crazy emotions out of your carburetor, right. uh, and it's good to be mm-hmm. doing that a under supervision and b. Uh, away from your friends and family. Right, right. And, I, uh, and I, should, I should let our listeners know that the three of us have done many hours of meditation in, uh, in a retreat setting uh, uh, over, right. over several weeks' time. And, yeah, probably my, my behavior and my character did change a bit during that period. <laughs> uh, right. I, I can testify that it did, Dennis. <laughs> Thank you for putting it kindly. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, okay, yeah. with that with that caution in mind, and I think it's a very good one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the um, you you uh, have had a number of influences on your life and your teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned Maharishi, who was a common uh, a teacher to all three of us back in the day. Um, but you had other uh, influences as well, including Buddhist teachers and, mm-hmm. and others. Um, the question then arises, uh, what do they all have in common? What do they each contribute to your own understanding and your own spiritual path? Mm-hmm. Without necessarily you know, going into all details. Sure and, sure. and do any of them contradict each other? Hmm. Um, I would say that they're, they're not perfectly consistent in their emphasis uh, and in their style of expression. The, what, I, what I would say I've gotten from being with multiple teachers, and for most people, I recommend that. Um, I've found it very healthy, even when uh, I'm hearing essentially the same truth uh, from different teachers, to hear it in different voices and in different styles, I think is very healthy. So that way you're clearer about what is the essential truth that you're hearing and what is simply the characteristics of the voice in which you're hearing it. Uh, As one uh, Tibetan Lama explained it to me. He said, it's good to have at least two teachers because that gives you binocular vision. It gives you depth perception, and then you bump into things less. Mm-hmm. And what about the um, common uh, uh, caveat that uh, that could lead you into a kind of um, spiritual promiscuity where you dig a lot of holes but never go deep? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, spiritual dilettantism. Right. Um, I, yeah, the, uh, you know, that, it, it's a very good thing to be alert to. Um, I, I think, though, what uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to do in my case is that I've identified, this is getting back to your earlier question, you know, what is it that they all had in common? You know, it's been not really an additive process for me. Uh, it's been, if anything, more a, uh, a, a subtractive process. You know, finding what is what's the lowest common denominator. What is the distilled essence that I'm getting from these teachers? And what it turns out to be is this: that that it, it's it's the non-dual nature of the very beingness, the very awareness in which we are abiding, within which we're hearing each other's words right now, that, that this is it. 
and that what keeps us from s- noticing that, noticing the, the inherent boundlessness of this, the inherent problem-free nature of this is concepts that we have about it, that we think that it has boundaries. We think that what I am has problems rather than my situations and concepts uh, that I have about them. And that it's, it, with a little bit of clear pointing, it's easy to actually see through that and just rest in this beingness itself, rest in awareness itself. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on the way there, there's a number of, uh, there's always a certain amount of what um, Rupert Spira, who's a wonderful teacher, I was just on a seven-day retreat with him, what Rupert calls compassionate concessions. You know, at the, to, like just now when I was talking at this kind of, you know, top level non-duality, the, the consciousness you're experiencing right now is boundless, but you're just not noticing it. For a lot of people, probably most people, they're going to get, what? That's just right over the head. So we have, and everyone, Buddha did this, the, 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 Jesus did this, um, that you, you talk a little bit in dualistic terms. You talk a little bit as if, okay, there is a state and we're going to get to it. There is a, another side to the river and we're going to do this stuff to cross the river. More and more as you cross the river, mm-hmm. you find out you know, there never was any river. There never was any crossing that had to happen. But the paradox is you got to cross it to find out that you didn't have to cross it. Right. Uh, the, the pathless path. Pathless path. The gateless yeah. gate. <coughs> yeah. The, yeah. Uh, uh, Dean, uh, let's say somebody, the same person that says, hey, I want to meditate many hours a day. Says, mm-hmm. I really want to go as far as I can with this, and I want to teach her. Right. And, and what, what, mm-hmm. what criteria would you recommend they use in evaluating teachers? And then uh, one might also, uh, I want to ask you this. I mean, it seems that in, in many, uh, or if not most, guru-centric movements, uh, there are inevitably problems. So what kind, of rec- what kind of advice right. would you give to somebody in terms of who, what type of teacher they should look for and what type of problems they might encounter when it's a guru-centric organization or movement? Right, right. First of all, let me back up half a step uh, again into this mm-hmm. topic of meditating more during the day because there's one more aspect of that that I want to address. This idea of meditating for hours a day um, I think the way that you're thinking about it, the way you're asking the question is predicated on the idea, uh, which is, is very much a set idea in the, the, the TM frame of reference, that there's meditation where you're sitting with your eyes closed, and then there, you open your eyes, and then there's activity, and there's a very clear line between them. Now, what I've gotten from a number of my other teachers since leaving the TM nest and, and confirmed in my own practice and in my teaching is that that line is really an artificial line. So uh, I point out to people that, for instance, when you're sitting at the red light, and you know that experience when you're really in a hurry to get somewhere and you're sitting there trying to make the red light turn green mm-hmm. faster, <laughs> right? Mind uh, control, yeah. And, and you may have noticed that it doesn't work. Oh, not for and, you, Dean, but for <laughs> some of us it does. <laughs> yeah. 
But seriously, folks, here is my personal guarantee to you that for the rest of your life, no matter how many total man or woman hours you spend gripping the wheel, trying to make the light turn green faster, you will never turn it green one nanosecond faster. And if you're really hearing what I'm saying, really getting the implications of that, it's, it, it is deeply liberating because it means you can freaking stop trying once and for all uh, and, and sit back and relax your grip. That is meditation. That recognition that I'm trying, that I'm banging my head against the wall, I'm trying to do something that can't be done, so instead I can just relax back into being here rather than trying to do something, that is meditation. And more and more we come to recognize that uh, all of activity is an opportunity for meditation that there's less and less doing to do, more and more mm-hmm. being to settle into. So, Dean, now, we, did, did you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah. okay. So, so then to get to, to, to the question about, um, yeah, guru-centric um, movements. Mm, yeah, it, it happens. Um, you know, I was someone who's been a wonderful teacher of mine for uh, about eight years now, uh, uh, Muji, um, who, if you, you know, watch his, his videos online, read his books, they're wonderful teachings, and, and he's been just um, dramatically important in my own growth, in, the, in this pointing out the simplicity of, of recognition that one's own being is right now is is it um in the last few years as he's become more known and more people are flocking to him they're starting to be more kind of the trappings of a of a guru centric organization around him and you know people calling him shri guruji and i totally understand that feeling of deep gratitude i have that feeling but mm, makes me a little nervous mm-hmm. when that um sort of part of the expectation right and i've i I used to send out uh luigi's videos i used to post them a lot and send them out to people oh you got to see this and and often i feel i can't do that now because you know 95 percent of it might be great pure non-dual teaching and then the other five percent might just be that you know the song that they've got over the opening or the closing some song of, of guru adoration, which again, I understand that sentiment uh, and I've got a, a, a real element of that in my own makeup, but I know that, you know, for what I see myself trying to do, which is bring this stuff to, you know, regular Americans, bring it to main street. It, it's going to be a turnoff and it's, it, it's a little bit sad because I think it's, it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Well, Dean, now let's, let's take that a step further. Um, the three of us and many of our listeners uh, have had uh, meditation of one form or another as a centerpiece of our spiritual paths, um, right. and and most most traditions would um, have uh, would concur in 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 that uh, kind of uh, structure. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, we know there's other elements of the spiritual path. There's yep knowledge there's putting our meditation experience in the context of of understanding there's you know cosmology mm-hmm. there's um 
the do's and don'ts that enhance one's spiritual life or detract from it, whether it's, you know, what to eat or behavioral uh, guidelines and so forth. There's community, which, you know, sangha, most mm-hmm. spiritual uh, paths have uh, emphasized. So in, in being an independent uh, meditation teacher, how do you guide people in those other uh, elements of a good spiritual path and at the same time mm-hmm. avoiding the, the hazards? Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, um, you know, to me this goes, uh, this goes back to the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita where um, we're told something that way back in our days where, okay, TM is the way. Uh, uh, you know, we read that in the Gita, and I think really, speaking for myself, I really didn't process it, and, I'm, and I feel I'm, I'm starting to process it now, where it says that, you know, there's the way of meditation, there's the way of jnana, knowledge, there's the way of bhakti, devotion, there's the way of karma, action, and that they are all equal paths. They all really come to the same place. Uh, last night, I uh, took the train out to Pasadena for a, 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 a kirtan concert in the park with Jayutal, wonderful, wonderful uh, um, kirtan singer. And, you know, when I get up and, and sing those, those kirtans and, mm-hmm. and dance and just, you know, it's, it's the same place. It's, it's, le- it's letting go it's this, and for that matter, when you're you're Dennis, when your grandma, who you know went to took communion every morning, when she took the, the 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 wafer and drank the wine and was told this was the the you know the the body of Christ, there's an excellent chance that just her faith in that. Wow, I'm I'm just communing with the body of Christ. That that was a letting go of being engaged in thought, a letting go of being engaged in the perceived problematic quality of one's life for the other 23 hours of the day that we have to call meditation. Mm-hmm. And for the, and, and, you know, karma yoga, if you can really do action and, and really get that you do not have the, uh, that you only have control over your actions and do not have control over their results. There is a deep letting go that we have to call meditation. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's going to the same place. Now, of course, it's not a matter of just choosing one of those. Um, it's, it, it, I think we all, to some degree, participate in all of them, and, and they all support one another. As far as the you know, the, the, you know, what to eat and what not to eat and those kind of lifestyle choices. I haven't seen any definitively persuasive answers on that stuff from anyone. Right. So, so I, I can't advise people what to eat, what not to eat. Um, and I, I suspect it's different for different people. I suspect a lot of it is culture-based. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that, oh, to have a spiritual meditative life, you have to be a vegetarian because Indians are vegetarians. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that that's the, the, 
the case for for Americans, you know, right, yeah, Tibetans, Tibetans, <laughs> Tibetans eat yak. Uh, right. You know, I've been I've been into Tibet. I've I've eaten yak. I, I don't recommend it. Um, and for that matter, I know people who are very much into speaking of kirtan, into uh, very traditional kirtan. And when they hear the great, you know, the the most popular kirtan singers in the West. Krishna Das and Jai Utal, they say that's not real kirtan. Right. They're doing they, their chord structure is C F G seven. Well, right, that's the chord structure of rock right, and roll. Right. That's the chord structure of most Western popular music. And we're Westerners, and I think we're tuned in to enjoying that musical structure and and relaxing into that, and hopefully relaxing through that into the the silence that stands behind it. Right. I, I would agree with that. I get a lot more out of listening to Krishna Das personally, in terms of my own experience, than mm-hmm. some of the more traditional chanting. And it's different for everybody. I have one last question for you, Dean. So somebody comes, they learn, you teach them meditation, and, and, and they say, well, wh- where can I ultimately go with this? You know, there's this talk of enlightenment, mm-hmm. higher states of consciousness. Uh, if they bring that up, what, what, do, you, what do you tell them? I say yes, and I, you know, I go deeply into that in, in my book. You know, mm-hmm. the irony is that my publisher told me, okay, Dean, what I want from you is, is meditation 101, not 102. And, uh, you know, thanks to my years of teaching this in high school and teaching this to prisoners, many of whom have a, a, a grade school education at best, uh, what I've had to work out is how to go up to the 102 and the 103 and the 30, you know, the graduate school level stuff. I mean, really the book goes into the highest stuff that I know, but I, I mean, one thing I know I'm good at is making it accessible, making it Mm -hmm. clear, um, to, and, and kind of sneaking up on it. So it all still feels like one on one. Great. Uh, uh, Phil, any final uh, questions? Yes, I want to switch gears, Dean, uh, briefly. Uh, One of your earlier books, uh, and a favorite of mine, is Cinema Nirvana, Enlightenment Lessons from the Movies. And one of the things that I loved about the book uh, and is distinctive is um, everybody thinks of spiritual movies uh, and they think of, uh, you know, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, or Song of Bernadette, or Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. But, but you, you found spiritual lessons in The Graduate and uh, the Jaws, Jaws and, and, and unlike Snow White the, and the... Snow White and the Seven that's Wars, right. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Right. And, and we are now, uh, we're recording this on July 4th weekend. Um, and we're about to enter into the blockbuster season of uh, action movies and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the movies that's hotly anticipated is the sequel to Independence Day. And Independence <laughs> Day, uh, uh-huh. which is from 1996, right. is one of the movies you write about. So right. for people anticipating going to the popcorn uh, world this summer, what advice do you have to give them since there are spiritual people going to the movies um, as, as they approach the, uh, the summer blockbuster season? My advice? Duck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, inclu- I included Independence Day in uh, Cinema Nirvana because I wanted to have one bad film. 
The, the <laughs> others, seriously, and I said that, the others are all classics. And by the way, people, while I was writing that book, people told me, oh, you have to write about Brother, Son, Sister Moon. You have right. to write about The Matrix. And I kept a list of everything people told me I had to write about and made a point not to because... Right. That was the low-hanging fruit. If they could already see the spirituality there, there was that, that, there's no fun in that. And to, to me, the, the premise of that book is, if the infinite really is the infinite, and it's really abiding in every fiber of what we call the finite, that must include every movie, every pop song, every rock, every piece of bubble gum stuck to the bottom of your shoe. We just have to look at it closely. So tantric, it's really more fun cinema. It that way. Say it again. Tantric cinema. Tantric cinema. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's, it's the tantric approach, that, which really is the non-dual approach, that, mm -hmm. that the distinction between the finite and the infinite, between silence and noise, between ocean and waves, is ultimately an artificial distinction. Now, most people, we start off, so caught up in the waves that for a little while or for a long while, we have to practice some settling down into the silent depths of the ocean. That's what we call meditation. But if we stop there, that's then we've fallen into the trap of, of quietism. More and more, what we find out is, oh, waves are nothing but ocean. It's ocean in action. It's, it's poetry in motion. Yeah. Uh, and, um, it's, it's all good. It's all God. It's, it's all the infinite. There's nothing else going on around here. But in the movie theater, we need somebody like you to point out where to look. And so mm -hmm. I recommend cinema of honor for that as yeah. you, as you, tool your Netflix list, you uh -huh. can, mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. uh, get Dean's recommendations from That's that right. book. Uh, perhaps, Dean, the next, the next book is uh, uh, Lessons on Spirituality and Enlightenment from Old Rock and Roll Lyrics. And, uh, there you go. I'm sure you'd find it. Uh, and, and I thought of that when you said poetry in motion. Uh, yep. our, our guest today, folks, uh, Mr. Dean Slider, who is uh, an author, speaker, teacher of natural meditation for many years, and uh, an old friend of mine, an old friend of Phil's, and his current book, uh, Natural Meditation, A Guide to Effortless Meditation Practice. Dean, thank you so much for coming on, and we look forward to having you on again sometime. We have a lot more to Dean, talk thank about. Thank you so much. Thanks, and quickly, uh, give the uh, listeners your uh, how to find you online. Yeah, best way to find me online is deanwords.com. Dean words.com and, we'll and you can read chapters up. from all yeah. yeah and you can read chapters from all my books there you can see my teaching schedule you can see videos you can listen to streaming audio of guided meditations and and uh the whole megillah as we say in sanskrit right okay all right thank Thanks. you oh